This is the Cubicle Renegade podcast with Caleb Wojcik, session number one. Here we go. Welcome to the Cubicle Renegade podcast, where unfulfilled desk jockeys become fearless entrepreneurs. Learn from corporate escapees and world changers who are successfully building businesses that matter. Here's your host, Caleb Wojcik. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Caleb Wojcik, and welcome to session number one of the Pocket Change Cubicle Renegade podcast. Thanks so much for listening in. In this session, our special guest is Joel Runyon, author of The Blog of Impossible Things and founder of Impossible HQ. Thanks for joining us from the Dominican Republic, Joel. Thanks for having me, Caleb. So for those unfamiliar with who you are, can you tell us a little bit about your background with traditional careers after college and then how you got started into blogging? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, when I first graduated college, I kind of like did everything you're supposed to do. Um, you know, I graduated college with like a 3.8 or something like that, and a bunch of extracurriculars, did all the, the stuff you're supposed to do. And then when I got out of school, I did all the other stuff you're supposed to do. So I started just applying um, to a lot of different places, sending out a lot of resumes, trying to network with people. And I really didn't have much luck with that. That was back in like 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, and the job market wasn't really doing great at that point. Um, and so I kind of sent out resumes for a good six months where there was just not any options out there for me. And nobody was calling me back. I couldn't. Um, I think at one point I was sending out resumes to Starbucks and they wouldn't call me back. So. Um, I was kind of getting, uh, it was a little depressing when I sent a resume. Yeah, a little discouraging when Starbucks turns you down. Yeah. Well, they didn't (laughs) even acknowledge me. It wasn't even turned down. It was just no, no acknowledgement. (laughs) Um, and so, uh, I finally, I finally got an in with a a small marketing organization in, um, Indianapolis, Indiana, and, uh, basically entry level position, outbound sales. Um, and everything was on commission and, you know, long story short, I, I worked there for a couple of years, learned a lot of stuff about internet marketing, mm-hmm. um, and, um, kind of worked my way up to the point where I was a marketing director. I went to work for another agency for a little bit, um, working for fortune 500 companies, um, as clients and, and kind of did that for, um, probably about two years. I think, uh, it's been about two, two and a half years since I, I got started in all that. Mm-hmm. And back in December, I left that job um, at the second agency I was at and um, decided to start doing my own thing. I'd been working on my blog and my online properties for a while. I had a couple of clients um, that I was doing pretty much private marketing consulting with. Uh-huh. And I did, uh, you know, I've got a few other um just online projects I'm working on. And so uh, it wasn't worth it to me to keep doing the, the same job that, um, you know, I had been doing with, you know, very little upside and when I, when I could go off and build my own thing. And so I decided in December that's what I was going to do and kind of just jumped right in. And so that's kind of where I'm at now. Awesome. I'd love to hear more about your consulting work that you're doing. What kind of work do you do for your clients and how did you attract some of your first clients after stepping out of your regular day job? 
So the most of the marketing consulting I do is like online marketing consulting. It's not necessarily um, marketed through my blog at all. I know a lot of people use their blog to kind of push their consulting practices or whatever. And mm-hmm. this is kind of so a little bit separated, not purposely, just kind of how it happened. Um, and uh, basically when I got my first job at the marketing agency, I was in charge of, you know, like, uh, I was, I think I was selling websites at first and eventually that morphed into a, a role where, um, I was coming up looking at, you know, all the different aspects of online marketing, SEO, PPC, uh, email marketing, social media, uh, content strategy, all that stuff and figuring out how they all fit together for each of our clients and then putting together um, uh, pretty much holistic strategies uh-huh. for, uh, for their individual businesses. And that's what I did for a good year and a half. And then I started doing a lot of PPC, uh, pay-per-click uh, management for companies, uh, managing about you know, half a million dollars um, an ad spend a month mm-hmm. for like fortune 500 companies or whatever. And, and I just started, you know, networking with some of my other friends. I started getting, in, uh, meeting different entrepreneurs who were, you know, starting out their businesses or they had a pretty solid business and they wanted to grow it a lot faster than they were able to at the moment. And so, uh, just getting plugged into a couple different, you know, entrepreneurial communities, I started, uh, picking up clients uh, here and there and ended up with, you know, a handful of clients and um, started working on my own project at the same time. And between those, you know, I felt pretty comfortable uh, trying to trying to scale it and grow it after, you know, doing consulting on my own for six or six to 12 months or so. Awesome. So what would you say percentage wise of your income right now comes from those clients and what percent of it comes from blogging? Uh, probably like, it's probably like a 95, five split. Okay. So your Uh, blog is actually a small portion of what your income actually is. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, we could talk about this in a little bit, but, uh, the blog was never, I never originally thought of it as a business Mm -hmm. and the, um, the business side of the blog has only been around for about six months. So, um, it's a pretty new, um, aspect of the blog and, um, you know, we just did the first paid um, product of it about a month and a, about five or six weeks ago. Um, and so, so the blog is very like a new revenue stream mm-hmm. and uh, consulting is um, a little bit more um, substantial at this point. So before we jump into talking about blogging specifically, with your experience in paid advertising, in what situations would it make sense for you to pay for ads? And when should you not pay for ads? Um, it makes sense a lot of times to pay for ads when you have a very specific offer and you know exactly, you've sold it before, you know it sells, and you just need to find more customers. And okay. you know those customers are looking for you, and you can go out and find them. Um, I, I don't, if you're blogging, I don't think you should run ads for your blog to start because um, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't have. They don't know what they're selling. They don't necessarily right. know what they're about all the time. Right. And um, it, it doesn't always make sense. Uh, but 
ads also are a good way to test stuff really quickly. So if you are, if you have, you know, a couple hundred dollars and you want to like test an idea and you want to see, you know, what headline works better or, you know, are people even interested in this idea, you can put together an ad, you can, you know, you can toss it up and you can see if there's actually interest around, uh, you know, what you're thinking about creating. So it can save you a little bit of time. Um, you know, instead of going ahead and creating something and realizing that nobody wants it. Uh, paid ads are how Tim Ferriss came up with the four-hour work week. Right, I was just going to say that, actually. That, yeah. That's one of the famous tests for titles is he tried out what titles of the book would potentially get more clicks and get more attention. Yeah, and so, I mean, if you're doing tests, that works really well. And if you have a very specific product that you've sold before and you know it sells well, um, you can use paid ads a lot of times to scale it. Um, in a quicker way than you could by, you know, uh, you know, outbound calling or you know other marketing um, techniques. Okay, cool. So, in my opinion, people worry too much about monetizing their blog in the beginning. And like you just said, it took you almost two years to actually offer something paid on your blog. And so, talk about why you waited so long to release your first information product. And what were some of the biggest lessons you've learned from that launch? Yeah, um, when I started, when I started the blog, it was more of an impetus to do something interesting, and that was the cold goal of the blog. It didn't set out to, you know, get really, you know, have a lot of people read it even or mm -hmm. make a lot of money off of it. Um, I was just getting done with um, being unemployed for six months, and. Yeah. I had a short stint with UPS where I worked for them for like four, four weeks and then got, uh, it was seasonal temporary help. And then we all got laid off right before Christmas, um, which is fun. And so I was, I was sitting around, I was really bored with my life and I was mad that I wasn't doing anything interesting. And so, um, I was, you know, I wanted to do something, um, cool, but I was looking at all these people reading all these blogs, uh, people doing really interesting things. And I wanted to do something, but everything kind of seemed impossible. And so I wrote down, you know, this whole list of things that I wanted to do um, and just decided I was going to go do them. And so to me, you know, when I started out, like the fact that I was just doing these things, um, I was doing them and then just writing about them. But that was the point of the blog. The blog is just me writing about the stuff that I was doing. Mm -hmm. um, and that was that was the big concern for me. Am I doing something interesting? Am I doing something that's worth writing about? Um, and so, so, I mean, that was the, the whole point of it. And I got to a certain point where it was just, you know, um, it ended up growing so much and it ended up taking up so much of my time that, um, and I started having people ask me the same questions, like, how do you, you know, how do you get ready for a triathlon? How do you, how do you even, you know, get started? How do you find races to, you know, sign up for? Uh -huh. uh, you know, how do I train for this? And so uh, that kind of came up more organically than anything where it's like, okay, you know, like this is something that, you know, I didn't expect to have an audience, but now I have an audience and um, all of a sudden they want something. And, right. you know, why, why, you know, why, why don't I just create it and, and give it to them? Uh, and so the, the biggest lesson out of that is that you have to have something driving you because um, it's going to take a little bit of time unless you just you know you're some wonder kind and you're going to just jump in and you know exactly what you're talking about and you you're incredibly charismatic and you're going to you figure it out 
all out before you started. Mm -hmm. You know, there's going to be a learning curve. There's going to be time um, where you just have to learn to suck less. Like you're going to be a terrible writer at first, probably, right. and you're going to. It's going to take a while for you just to, you know, become mediocre. And um, and so a lot of people try to jump in and they think they're going to make you know tons of money off their blog when they start, but they've never done anything like a blog before, and they don't even know how to you know, write very well. So mm -hmm. um, a lot of the times you just have to have some other ancillary thing that's pushing you forward. Maybe you want to, you know, learn more about blogging or maybe you want to, you know, use it as a tool to do something interesting or, you know, you have to have something else that's driving you besides money because it can be really frustrating if you're just trying to make a lot of money off of it, um, uh, especially in the beginning because it takes time. So picking off of what you just piggybacking off of what you just said, I've seen a lot of people lately talking online about whether or not you need to be quote passionate about what you do to earn a living. Uh, in your opinion, when someone is creating a blog or starting a business, should they be passionate about the topic or project, or should they just focus on finding a profitable idea? Um, I think I th I. It's, um... I'm not a I'm not a big fan of the the passionate type. Um, uh, the I don't know what the word is, but like the vocabulary used there. Uh -huh. um, to me, what I'm interested in, I'm interested in learning new things um, and solving problems. And so, to me, uh, that's what I'm interested in. And it could be with almost anything. So it's 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 really hard when somebody says, you know, I'm passionate about. Um, you know, ice cream, and all they want to do is, you know, like you, you might be able to do a blog about ice cream, and you know, you find all these people, and you get sponsored by, you know, different ice cream companies or whatever. Mm -hmm. But uh, a lot of times, you know, it's really hard to get um, if you want to do something and make it into a business. It's really hard to do something um, unless you're solving somebody's problem, right? And so. Um, what I'm passionate about is, you know, having freedom in my own life, being able to do the things that I want to be able to do and, um, you know, travel, uh, be healthy. You know, those, those are the things I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. um, and then I like helping people, you know, start their own businesses or grow their businesses or do things like that that are, you know, empowering to them and they're, they're helpful in um, – the way that they create more freedom for other people. And um, so I, I, I don't think it's, they're mutually exclusive ideas, but I think you need to be passionate about, you know, something more than just, you know, whatever you happen to be blogging about. Mm -hmm. uh, Dan Andrews from Tropical MBA, I think talks about this well, because, you know, uh, profitable or, or passionate sounds like, you know, really sexy and, um, you know, of course you want to do something you're passionate about, but you can be passionate about an idea or you can be passionate about a type of work um, and not just a topic. A lot of people talk about you got to be passionate about like just a topic right. and somehow that's going to make you a lot of money. And, you know, that, that works sometimes, but a lot of times it doesn't work. And so if you can find something that, you know, you know, you want to be able to travel anywhere. Um, what, one of the things that I want to do, like I didn't want to have to. Um, tell somebody I couldn't go on a trip or go on an adventure because I had, you know, only had two weeks of vacation. Right. And, uh, and so, you know, I had to allocate those two weeks correctly. Um, 
And so one of the things I was passionate about was, you know, I want more than two weeks of vacation. I want to be able to go on a trip and be able to work wherever I am um, and, and be able to do that. And so that was something that I was passionate about, but I had to do something else in order to um, fulfill that passion, does, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I want to hit on a few points you mentioned. One of them was when you're starting a business, don't think about what you're passionate about per se, but think about what kind of problems you can help people solve. Because once you become mm-hmm. a problem solver for someone, they'll become a fan of what you do and they'll be interested in actually investing in the things you provide. And the mm-hmm. other piece that I thought was really interesting that you mentioned that I agree with is that you don't necessarily have to be passionate about the topic per se, but you have to be passionate about the work that you put in. You have to be passionate about what it is that it's going to enable you to do. So Dan Andrews talks about, you know, he really might not be passionate about every little thing that they create and every little business they have, but he's passionate about what kind of lifestyle it creates for him. And he's passionate about putting in the hours and putting in the effort to get to the point that it is profitable. Mm-hmm. So Definitely. cool. I, uh, you've kind of created your own unique selling proposition around the theme of impossible. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think about the traditional vice of quote, finding a niche when you're starting out <laughs> online? Um, it's, it's interesting because there's a couple different aspects to it. And so one of the things I, I don't really do well at taking advice from people and so <laughs> I tend to tend to make up my own, um, sometimes, but, uh, the problem I, I would have had if I would have tried to find a niche is that, um, I, I get really bored really easily and I can't, um, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, personal finance blogs out there. There's a lot of like minimalism blogs out there. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, you know, you can find a niche and there's a lot of blogs about it. Um, It's really hard for me to do that sometimes just because I'm so, I'm interested in, like I said before, I'm interested in learning a lot of different things. I'm more interested in finding out about different, um, different topics, different things or whatever. And so I tried to, um, I kind of created my own niche. I like to think, Um, you know, like, impossible is my niche and I can take impossible and do it with anything. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I don't think that it's the, you know, finding a niche, it has, it has a lot of good points. Um, if you're going to do something like, you know, brand something impossible, I need to have a theme throughout everything. And I think having a theme through kind of everything I've done and having, you know, it be cohesive has been really, really helpful to, um, you know, the projects I've been working on and getting people to, you know, recognize, uh, you know, my voice and the types of projects I'm working on. Um, so I, I guess, I guess, I guess my, my answer would be, I think finding niche is good and it works for a lot of people. Um, it didn't necessarily work for me. And so I had to figure out a way to, um, you know, still create an, a identify I doing, um, and I think I did that through creating a theme. Um, but that said, there there also need to be very specific problems you solve. Um, coming back to the problem solving idea, mm-hmm. that you know a broad theme is great, but you know what specific things do you have a focus on? You know everybody can identify with something impossible, but I can't necessarily. Um, uh, 
you know, fix everybody's individual pain point because everybody's going to have something a little bit different. And so you still have to have a little bit of a focus. And so I still tend to have a little bit of focus on, you know, endurance sports, um, adventure, um, and a little bit of travel in there as well, and um, giving back, that type of thing. And those type of, you know, themes, those type of topics you talk about, you don't really bluntly state like this is a endurance sport or an alternative race sport blog. You write about impossible things and you write about those things from time to time, but you don't really label yourself in any of those categories, which gives you the freedom to talk throughout the whole theme of just things that are impossible and things that you think are out of reach. And I think that's something that more people need to do. I think that too many people pick a niche, they pick some of the best blogs or some of the best websites in that niche, and then they try to create a copycat version of the exact same thing. And they're not really putting their own spin on things. They're not trying to create their own brand and their own unique feeling to it. And I think that's something that you've been able to do really well. The, the, the entire blog stems from my like impossible list Mm -hmm. and I'm actually going to be updating it soon and changing a few things. Um, but it, it basically allows me to write about since, you know, the list is basically things I've wanted to do, but I haven't done. Mm -hmm. And, um, Endurance sports especially lend themselves to the idea of impossible just because they are really hard and they are really long and the things you have to go through doing them kind of automatically lend themselves to, you know, um, you know, broader lessons for Mm -hmm. other people. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, the, the great thing is, you know, I can, it's, it's still a tool for me doing something interesting with my life and, um, you know, if I get bored or something, you're like, okay, let's, let's go do something off the list. Or, uh, you know, like I can write about almost anything I want to because, you know, all the things on there are, you know, pretty difficult. And, um, you know, at some point or another, I'm going to be doing them. And so uh, it gives me the flexibility to um, do a lot of different types of things, but also still have a, something cohesive that pulls everything together. Mm-hmm. So last fall, you launched Impossible HQ kind of as a bland, branding platform to house all of your projects online. What was mm-hmm. the main driver behind the creation of that? Um, the main driver was it, it. I started to realize the blog was a little bigger than I planned it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually called the Blog of Impossible Things. And um, so, there, I mean, there's a, there's a couple different things. So one, it was called the Blog of Impossible Things. I tend to have... Um, when I think about blogs, especially if you call them blogs, um, they have a very like kind of limited scope of what they're able to do. Um, you know, you you pretty much you you have blog posts, and then you'll have maybe a forum, and you'll have some products probably, and that's about it. Right. Um, and I, I want to do something a little bit bigger than that. Um, and so I knew I either was going to have to, you know, I kind of got to a point with the blog impossible things where I knew I was going to have to either, you know, I was going to either stay at that level or I was going to have to make it a lot bigger. And so I decided to launch Impossible HQ as sort of a, like a branding platform to, like you said, to house all of my projects online. And uh, the idea behind that is I, I launched an apparel line about the same time, which uh, will be growing here in the next couple of weeks. Um, even bigger, uh, we'll be 
Um, and then I have like I, I kind of rolled my consulting stuff into um, into under the Impossible brand. So Impossible Agency mm-hmm. is um, my marketing agency that I'm run. Um, and then I have you know I have a couple other uh, projects in the next let's see you know like six twelve months or whatever that we be rolling out that aren't necessarily blog related projects and some of them are you know bigger than that and some of them are you know just different um, than what you would typically see on a a blog mm-hmm. um, and so like the blog is kind of about like a little bit about my journey plus you know you know everything impossible but these other ones are more either standalone projects or you know businesses that I'm launching under the impossible uh, brand and so I didn't feel like I could do that maybe you know, it might have just been something in my head but um, I didn't feel like I could do that with just the blog and so I wanted to create another platform for that where I can you know talk about the um, you know the official projects that I'm launching that might may or may not be blog related but are impossible branded related if that makes sense yeah it does make sense and has has the branding been successful for you do you think more people have taken notice of the other things you're doing because of what you launched yes i uh i think it um when you go to the site um it looks much different than a typical blog would Mm -hmm. and so i think that's been um great from a brand perspective as it's um, it makes it look, um, it's different. So people take notice mm-hmm. right away. And, um, Jeff and Marla Saris from, um, uh, 6411 Inspire Media, mm-hmm. um, they did a lot of the photos for me. Uh, we went downtown and shot a lot of photos and, uh, they kind of, you know, brought another s- s- level of professionalism that sometimes you don't necessarily see in blogs right. and so um, between you know those couple things uh, I, I've i been really happy with the results I get uh, tons of emails about it and it that was one of those you know you kind of have stair steps you know um, in in your blog growth a lot of it is gradual mm-hmm. but every once in a while you'll see jumps and when I launched Impossible HQ uh, there was definitely a um, a jump in the amount of uh, I don't want to say attention, but attention, traffic, um, and awareness of uh, the over the blog and the overall project as a whole. Well, I think that overall it just has an extra level of polish that you don't always see online. People get used to going to blogs and reading things that you know they're they're pretty amateur looking. And they're pretty amateur when it comes to like user interaction and mm-hmm. the amount of effort that you and Spire Media team put into that website just shows that anything you touch can potentially, you know, have that set of polish to it. So when you're working with a client, you know how to make something look professional and developed and not, you know, not half-assed, if you will. Yeah, definitely. It's 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 one of those things that, you know, if Right now, all of my marketing clients basically go to Impossible HQ to see me, and uh, it, it really works because it, it's it's you know I'm not only doing you know these impossible things with the uh, you know with endurance sports and all this, but it, it comes back to you know if you have a problem and you don't think anybody can solve it, I'll I'll figure it out and I'll I'll take care of it for you. Um, 
and you know they like that and they trust me and it kind of adds that little bit of uh polish or shine if you will absolutely sometimes you miss from like a template blog right exactly so let's change gears a little bit and jump into the lifestyle side of the work that you do okay most of my readers work full-time and i get a lot of questions about how to find the time how to make the extra time to work on their side hustle and I know you worked full-time for the first year or two while building up your blog, and so did I. So how do you, quote, find the time to work on the side? Um, well, you have, to, you have to figure out what your priorities are. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the biggest thing is that most people, you know, they say they want to, but they don't actually. Um, there is a great quote that I've been seeing going around Twitter. It was like, you know, most people will tell you their priorities, but to really see... But to really see them, you have to just have to look at what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I worked 40, 50 hour weeks for the first two years before, you know, before I even did anything. Just, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it's, it's, you know, there's, a, there's enough time in the day to do it. You just have to make it a priority. You know, I don't own a TV. I don't watch TV. I'll watch Hulu every once in a while, but I don't. I don't watch TV. Um, you be diligent with the time you spend on the internet instead mm-hmm. of always uh, consuming stuff. Find time to create stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wrote an article probably about a year and a, a year ago, maybe called "The Other Eight Hours." Mm-hmm. And you know, if you if you work eight hours a day and you sleep eight hours a day, you still have another eight hours in the day to go do something. And you know, you got to eat at some point, and you right. have to do you know the things you have to do. But um, you can carve out one or two hours a day sometimes. And just work on something that you're really interested in. And the the way it clicked for me was when I realized I could spend time on something and learn something and be able to build something. When I realized I could build stuff, um, that's when my priorities started to shift because building and creating is way more fulfilling. Um, at least I, I find it to be uh, than just consuming and experiencing life through other people. Um, doing it firsthand and you know learning things as you build it is is really fulfilling to me. I, I like working. I like um, you know finding these side projects to work on, and so it was really important to me. And the other thing was it was a um, um, you know I put I made this list and I wrote it out and I realized you know either um, I got to do it now. <laughs> like I can't just I can't right. just back out. And so. Um, Actually doing it, like the the whole whole blog was oriented around doing stuff, and so I would you know be training, and then I would actually go do the race, and then I'd be like, of course I'm going to write it. I just spent the last three months training for it, uh-huh. uh, and so uh, the biggest thing is just priorities and just figuring out you know are you going to you know sit around and you know waste a lot of time uh, you know watching TV or you know doing whatever else. Um, or do you want to, you know, is this important enough to you to, uh, you know, carve out the time to actually work on it? And if it's not, that's fine. But, um, but there's always time. It's just you have to figure out what you really want to do with it. Mm-hmm. So, so now you're in the Dominican Republic, and I'd love to hear from you what you think the hardest part of working while you travel is. A lot of people think it's this glorious situation where you're, you know, on a beach or you know, working in coffee shops all the time. What, what's the hardest part about working on the road? Um, 
Well, sometimes down here we don't always have internet, but uh, I mean that's that's not too bad. Is that a blessing or a curse, though? Yeah, it's actually. <laughs> at that point, you're just like, okay, I'm gonna either read or I'm just gonna start writing stuff, and uh-huh. I'll you know post it all later. Uh, but no, the DR uh, traveling in general is. I really like it. Um, I did it for a long time, um, four years back, back in school or whatever. Um, and now that I'm back able to do it, you know, I obviously have to balance it with work. And I think that's the toughest part is figuring out places where you can just carve out two or three hours in your schedule mm-hmm. and just get to work. Um, because, you know, there are beaches and your friends are doing really cool stuff, mm-hmm. things. And, you know, there's the, um, you know, you've worked so hard to get this freedom um, to go, you know, anywhere you want and do anything you want. And then you still have to realize that there's discipline involved and Absolutely. that you need to, you need, you can't just, um, you get to play, but you have to work to play. And it's not, you know, you don't just get to go do whatever you want. And even if you don't have a, a, a boss, you still have a boss and you have to report to yourself and you have to <laughs> say like, you know, at the end of the week, what did, what did I get done? Uh, what, you know, what do I have to show for the time I spent? And that comes back again to using your time wisely and finding priorities and, you know, what's really important to you because um, you want to be able to continue doing the things that uh, you've finally been able, you know, you've been working on being able to do. Well, awesome, Joel. Thanks so much for being on the show. I'd love to hear what's next for you and Impossible HQ. What kind of big things are you working on? You can give us a quick teaser of. (laughs) Well, I'm out of the country for a couple months. And then I'll be at WDS in June, July. Um, I'm going to be doing a road trip probably before that. And uh, we've, got, we've got a few more projects that I'm working on. I don't, I don't have them finalized yet, so I don't want to talk about them yet. But we do have, uh, we're, we'll be expanding the apparel line pretty soon. We're going to be coming out with women's tank tops um, with that and where you've uh, been working on um, getting the final designs for that ready. So those should be out in a couple weeks. And um, yeah, mostly mostly growing the, the consulting, you know, agency aspect of Impossible HQ. Mm-hmm. And we've got the apparel business as well. And we should have another, um, we should have another uh, information product somewhere probably around June or Ooh. July. But I have to, uh, I have to finalize that a little bit more before. Uh, <laughs> before you announce it publicly. It. Yeah. <laughs> Well, awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show, Joel. And I'll link up all sorts of things to how to find Joel online in the show notes of this episode. So thanks, Joel, for being on. Hey, Caleb, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Pocket Changed Cubicle Renegade podcast at www.pocketchanged.com. To read this episode's show notes or check out other sessions, head over to cubiclerenegade.com.